Hello and welcome to The Scrum, the WGBH news podcast that follows politics from Beacon Hill to the Beltway. Adam Riley is on assignment in New Hampshire. I'm Peter Katzis, and I'm joined by Mike Dean, at Dean on Twitter. Mike mans the WGBH Statehouse Bureau. Greetings, Mike. How are you, Peter? Yep, I am in the basement of the Statehouse. In our uh, posh studio there? Yeah, it used to have a window, but somebody put a TV in front of it, so now I can't look outside the window anymore. (laughs) Gee, Mike, it sounds like there's a metaphor fighting to come out there, but I'm going to keep moving. When you strip away the bells and whistles, the state budget is the essence of Massachusetts state government. It determines what will and won't be done. Last year, the effort to finalize the budget was, well, sort of a mess. How bad do you think it's going to be? Pretty goddamn bad. Probably all the other families will line up against us. That's all right. This isn't going to happen every five years or so. Ten years. Helps to get rid of the bad blood. Here we put in a cut from The Godfather. Tensions between House progressives and regular Democrats were elevated. And the Senate was still reorienting itself to new leadership in the wake of the psychodrama that surrounded the unceremonious exit of then-Senate President Stan Rosenberg. That was then, and this is now. The Beacon Hill situation is much calmer and more conducive to comity. That's C-O-M-I-T-Y. Mike recently sat down with Aaron Michaelwitz, the spanking new chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, to talk about this latest round of budget writing. Take it away, Mike. You know, congratulations on the budget. Thank you. But now that you've had it for how long now? You've had the uh, two, two months two, as of today. Two months. Yeah. How do you describe the role of the House Ways and Means Chair? You know, by your estimation, what is it? Uh, it's a uh, you know a, a job of trying to build consensus among the membership. You know, you 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 meet with try to meet with every single member in the House, and we try to do that in a short period of time and uh, uh, get their perspective, get their concerns, get their uh, their desires to, in terms of what they think we should be focusing on. And you take that, you, you take that all, all that information, uh, obviously you, you do that with the, uh, with the governor's people as well, with the, with the secretaries and the, and the heads of agencies, and you try to put together a package that uh, best defines the shared priorities of the House uh, and uh, of what the membership feels is, is, our, is our focus. And I think, you know, we tried to accomplish that in a short period of time in two months, and I think we did that to, uh, you know, the best degree possible. The budget you put out yesterday by, you know, what I saw, it's a fairly, it's a safe budget. It's, it's a clean budget. And that, that's a good. Yeah, that, I, that's, I, I take that as that a compliment. Absolutely is. Yeah. <laughs> um, was your thinking doing that, that, well, everyone acknowledged that the revenue conversation is going to happen later on this year. So was it your intention to pass what has been described as a boring budget so that the interesting stuff comes later on? Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you, there is a lot on the table still. Uh, you have a revenue conversation happening. You have the Education Foundation Budget Review uh, Commission legislation that's still on the table. You have sports betting, uh, which is still on the table. So there is a whole host of different things that are uh, being talked about right now for this legislative session. And, you know, since it was, again, the first time doing this budget and, and doing it in a short period of time, I wanted to make sure that we, we hit on some of the points that were important. But, you know, we're not, we didn't want to make too many waves in terms of what we were trying to do and accomplish uh, and uh, make sure we got something done with with what we had in front of us, you know, in terms of revenue, for, for instance. You know, we, had, we weren't going to do any new large particular uh, revenue packages. So we wanted to make sure we built a budget that was based off of what we could what we could do. And I, and I think we, you know, with adding good pieces to housing and to education, you know, into, uh, you know, t- some other things like family planning. And I think we did that. And, uh, you know, 
you know, we'll have the rest of the session to figure out some of those other issues as we go forward. Mm-hmm. If we're, you're going to do revenue down the line, uh, there could be a you know, major kind of tax overhaul that is in the works. Uh, education, certainly, Chapter 70 will probably be rewritten. What does this mean for this budget? Does it mean that six months from now, the FY 2020 budget could be moot? Could it be greatly changed? Or would these changes not really affect 2020? They could. You know, it depends on what we, you know, what we pass and what ends up uh, being built upon going forward. Uh, you know, so there could be some changes related to what the revenue looks like or what education looks like. You know, we, we put a down payment, as we like to call it, on the low-income student support system with an acknowledgement of, of building a, a different reserve than has ever been built before off of Chapter 70, with an understanding that that is something that is obviously of great interest and concern from the education committee discussions. And I think that by doing it the way we did it, we can now again go back to that and make corrections or add things or whatever, do whatever that would that would be uh, results of what the education bill will finally produce. Because at this time, we really don't know, you know, we still have a, you know, we have some differences between the House and the Senate uh, and the governor. And, and at the end of the day, you know, there, this may take some twists and turns. So we wanted to make sure we had at least something down that signified where we were heading as a uh, as a Commonwealth, but at least not to the point where we were going to tie people's hands. Were you thinking about in this process what you would do if there was additional revenue? Is that something that you were allowed to think about, or was that even a possibility? If you, you know, if we had ten percent more revenue, we could do this, we could do that. You always think about what, how I could, do, what can I do more of here, and what could I do more of there? And there's certainly, you know, things that uh, uh, you know we'd like to continue to look at going forward. But I think you can't get too worked up or, or lost in the fact of you have a certain amount of money that you can allocate and you have to make sure that you're doing it and hitting on points that are important, not just in priorities to yourself, but in priorities to the membership as a whole, uh, to the speaker, uh, to the members of, uh, you know, the entire membership. And I think we, you know, we did that, you know, like I said, education, housing, you know, these are pieces that are really important to a lot of people and they're the ones that are getting a lot of attention and our constituents are really concerned about, uh, you know, some of those issues. And, and I think by touching upon those points, we really hit on things that people are, are worried about, at least going into this next fiscal year. We also have to be, you know, cognizant of the fact that uh, we're in a good economy. We're still in a good economy. We've, we had a little downturn, you know, from December and uh, in January, uh, which I guess was a good, you know, good uh, kind of shock to the system and showing us that, you know, this may not last forever. Uh, so we had to be very cognizant of that. Putting more money into the stabilization fund and continuing to build up that stable, stabilization fund is, is critical. You know, people tell me that FY20 is going to be an okay uh, fiscal year, but FY21 could be troublesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about some criticism of the way the the state does do budgeting. Now, the Volcker Alliance uh, Truth and Integrity State Budgeting Report. I don't know if you saw this. It I came out. Um, they put this out every year. It's just a letter grade for how states do their budgeting. Now, this graded um, 2016 through 2018, I think calendar years. So not on your watch. <laughs> um, but a lot of these you know, things are, are still going on. And, and the major criticism was that uh, Massachusetts got a D, which is the average grade. Okay, so that should be a C. The the curve, (laughs) yeah, the curve is is what it is. Uh, But they they say it's a D. Uh, And the the big hit here was uh, that Massachusetts uses one-time revenues to basically cover the 2,000 tax cuts and that for 19 years uh, we have been relying on one time and putting off spending uh, to do that. And, um, you know, and there was a C in budget forecasting. So I kind of want to get your take on those two criticisms. What, what was their def- definition of budget for? A lot of states will look two, three years ahead, okay. and Massachusetts will only do consensus revenue for the the one. That's the yeah. one year. I mean, I can understand that criticism, but I, I think it's uh, we have seen that you cannot you know predict how the economy is going to go year in and year out, and you have to kind of take it one year at a time and. 
kind of set yourself up to fail if if you think, oh, we can budget this for the next three years at this at this amount because who knows what numbers you're going to be able to get to next year, never mind two or three years down the road. I understand the criticism, uh, but I think that it's, uh, you know, I, I appreciate the way we do do that in Massachusetts. And the first one was more... Uh, one, uh, a one-time spending. One-time spending, yeah. I mean, we, we try to be as, li- as limited as possible. Certainly the 2000 tax cuts or the tax cuts from 2000 and, and the continuing to draw down on the income tax has certainly made things challenging uh, over the years. Uh, but that was the will of the voters, and I think we had to be respectful of that. I, I know it took some time, and we were criticized for not doing it too soon. You know, what I mean, uh, the fact is that we that we let it play out over that 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 amount of time, and uh, people felt we should have did it a lot sooner. I was in college at that time. <laughs> That's how long ago that was. But I remember when uh, when the state was going through those first initial years of dealing with those that tax cuts, and uh, and I would read continuously how you know they're not doing it the right way because they need to they need to do the will of the voters now and not just like 10, 15, 20 years down the road. But I think, you know, uh, we still have to uh, be cognizant of that and, and, and be mindful of, uh, of trying to be uh, as uh, keep things at the one time uh, spending expenditures as little limited as possible, mm-hmm. certainly. And this budget does not have any one times, no, right. or no major one times. Um, right. it's, uh, is, is that a commitment that, you know, you or the speaker is going to or is that has to happen every year? I think it's, it's, it's just what we're doing for this year. And we'll take it on a year to year basis mm-hmm. as we are criticized for. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Is there anything structurally or uh, systemically, institutionally, that you would like to change about the budget process? Not at this moment. I think for me, it's been, uh, you know, I'm I'm learning uh, from the last two months. I'm learning exactly how uh, the process goes. Uh, You know, you have a sense of it when you're doing it from a uh, as a as a state rep or as a, you know, a chair of another committee. Uh, but it's a unique perspective, a unique opportunity from the fact of doing it as the chair of Ways and Means uh, and seeing it. You know, I still haven't gone through that entire process yet uh, in terms of, you know, amendments and then on the floor dealing with debate on, on the budget week debate and then into conference committee with, with the Senate. You know, I think we're still seeing this as it goes. And, we, and once we go through it a full, full first time, we may take a look and see if something can be done differently or better. But I think that, uh, you know, we have a good structure system that's uh, that's helped uh, us produce this budget in a short period of time. We'll check in. Yeah. After, of course, of course. <laughs> after July first. Yes. And we'll I, see, I may. We'll see I may have a completely different perspective at yeah. that point in time. Uh, I, I do want to switch gears and um, you know give the listeners a little bit of bio. Probably hearing your name and trying to pronounce your name for the first time. <laughs> so let's just do you know age. Uh, I am forty years old. All right. You're married. Yes, I am. All right. Children. No children. Okay. Uh, high school. Uh, Thayer Academy. Okay, college? Uh, Northeastern University, okay. and then I uh, got my MBA at Suffolk University. All right, great. Lawyer, no, no attorney? No, okay. MBA. All right, uh, previous jobs, I know you were an, an aide here. but I was an else? aide for the former Speaker of the House, uh, and before that I worked for uh, uh, Mayor Tomanino. What did you do for the I was I was, his, uh, I was in his Office of Special Events and Tourism. I actually, it was a, it was a part-time job that I, I got in co- while I was in college at a co-op uh, for Northeastern, and uh, I kept it for a couple of years and then uh, through college. And then when um, when I graduated, it was 2001. I, uh, the economy was starting to slip. They offered me a full-time job. So I jumped at it and I took it. And uh, I ended up staying there for a couple of years. And then, and then uh, uh, Sal DeMacy became the Speaker of the House. And uh, he offered me an opportunity to come work for him as his district director. And that was a, uh, you know, how often does a, a guy from your neighborhood uh, become the Speaker of the House and ask you to come work for him? It was, a, it was an opportunity that I, I uh, surprised by, but obviously excited about it and took it. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, worked there for four and a half years. 
what does it mean to be from Boston? Aside from the fact that you can walk here early in the morning and you know leave very late at night, ten minute walk to my house back yeah. and forth. Beyond that, what does it mean that you come from the capital city? That you know you've been a rep now for ten plus years. Um, you have represented that district in North End, Chinatown, downtown. What, what does that bring to the table? Because you were the second Boston Ways and Means chair in a row. I think uh, being from Boston is uh, is is valuable in the sense of it. You know, politics is kind of in our in our blood here in the city, you know, and uh, and we, uh, you know, we grow up in it. People that grow up in the city, you know, we, we literally grow up in it. I was, I remember campaigns from when, when I was like six, seven years old uh, in my neighborhood. Uh, and so you're always thinking, you know, politically, uh, you know, in some sense. And, and that can be like even on the playground when you're growing up in terms of like just the, you don't even realize what you're doing, but it's, there's a political game related to just being in the neighborhoods. Uh, and I think it, uh, it gives you a, a thirst for, for the business. And I think it gives you a, a thirst for, you know, the competition of it, but also, you know, really sharpens your skills uh, as a, you know, as a, as a politician and as community person. And you really, you know, you really are proud of the neighborhood you come from and, and, uh, and I think that that uh, you know that speaks to everything you do going forward. And I think that was that's been the case for a lot of, of the electeds that are from Boston that grew up here and that uh, that live here and that um, that you know uh, represent the city so well. Is the mayor pleased that a second Boston delegation member is the Ways and Means chair? I think the mayor was was happy that you know a Boston delegation member was once again picked for Ways and Means. I think that. Um, there's been leadership from Boston on both sides, the House and the Senate, for generations. You know, as far as I, as far as back as I can remember, and I think that that obviously helps the city, uh, you know, have a have a, have footing here at the state house when they're trying to come up with issues or, or deal with issues that are, you know, re- are relevant to them. That's not you know outside their purview at City Hall, and they need they need state help, which obviously happens a lot. And I think that the uh, the current mayor has you know having served here. Uh, with us. I mean, I, I served with him for, for my first four years here in office, and I worked when I was working for the Speaker. I served with him then. And, uh, you know, so we have a history of working back to uh, working with each other and uh, and sometimes, you know, having having disagreements. But we've had a, uh, you know, we continue to mo- try to move the ball forward for the city. And I think he's been doing, a, you know, a tremendous job. But I think his his perspective of being up here at the State House has, has helped him in, in City Hall and trying to build collaboration. And, uh, uh, sometimes he may get criticized for that because he's not more of a legislator than he is, is an executive. But I think for the most part, I think that that has served him well in trying to build consensus within uh, within City Hall and within government as a whole. What have you learned in your, your decade plus here, you know, from the, the transition from aide to rep to now senior rep and, and, and a powerful chair? You know, those are three kind of distinct roles. Um, yeah. What was what was new? What was what was fresh to you ten years ago? That's that's old hat now. Um, you know, it's a good question. It's hard to say because I try to take it day by day, and I try to take uh, every issue that comes in front of me and confront that, and think about that, and work on that, and then not think about the future or the past. And but I think that uh, the thing I've learned probably the most is that how many good people work up here. How many, and that includes the press. Uh, that includes the, the press. Uh, but the uh, there's a there is a lot of good people that work up here, and they don't get paid a ton, and they work hard. And you know, I, I've especially seen that in way, in the Ways and Means Committee, where you know our staffs are working around the clock. Uh, to try to produce uh, budgets, try to produce uh, legislation, uh, and and you know you really got to have a love for public service. You got to have a love for politics. You got to have a love for uh, you know coming up here every day and uh, and putting on a, a good face and trying to make it a uh, make a difference. You know whether it's in your community or uh, whether it's in the, you know the the Commonwealth as a whole. And that that's probably the thing that I've that I've learned the most. And I, and and having been an aide, I think I have that perspective of maybe a little bit different than. Than someone who maybe got elected and just came in here, like knowing what it was like to be an aide and knowing what it was like to, you know, to work uh, in the House of Representatives and, and watch other reps, you know, 
you know, and other lobbyists or other, you know, you know, people, the heads of agencies and advocacy groups uh, and how they interacted with you and stuff like that. I think that is uh, giving me a different perspective than uh, than most people. And I, I I love when I see other aides end up uh, getting elected. Uh, I know there's like a, there's like a number of us that are in the House or in the Senate that are, that have served as former aides. And it's uh, we, we don't call it a caucus or we don't really say we don't really call it anything. But the fact is, is that there is definitely a, uh, a kinsmanship related to those folks that have served as an aide and then became an elected themselves. And that uh, the pay is true of the press as well. I'll, I'll, put it that way. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that up to your bosses. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully they're listening. Yeah, right. <laughs> Do you consider yourself a progressive Democrat? I do. You know, I, I believe in progressive issues. You know, I don't necessarily know if I agree with every single thing that's ever been put on the table by the progressive community. But I do believe that uh, if I'm going to plant my flag somewhere, I, I would plant my flag more as a progressive than anything else. But, you know, it's, it's an old term now. But, you know, I try to be pragmatic as well with, with how we get things done. You know, uh, but I think the progressive side of me is always there in terms of trying to move the move the agenda forward. Uh, and then the pragmatic side of me is trying to make sure that we do move that ball forward and we don't just, you know, die on a hill uh, for, you know, for for an issue. Because I think I'd rather live to fight to see another day than to let something die. And, you know, we've dealt with that in in a number of different issues here at the State House over the years. How are you thinking right now about um, the negotiations with the Senate? You know, the, the House still has to pass their budget and the Senate has to introduce theirs, but you will be at the table with Senator Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. You've been at that table before on other issues. You know, you negotiated the Airbnb bill, a number of other bills, and other chairmanships you've had. But what is your take on what happened last session and, and why the, the budget bill was as late as it was? You know, I'm not exactly 100% sure uh, because I wasn't involved in those direct negotiations. And as you can imagine, it's, uh, you know, the, there's a lot of uh, tight negotiations taking place. I can speak to the fact that I, I had a even though it took us till the last day or two to get Airbnb done before the governor sent back his veto. I've had a great working relationship with Mike Rodericks, and I think uh, he is a good guy to, to work with. Uh, he's, you know, he's, he's, lo- he's, he's a loyalist, you know I mean? He's, he's a loyal Senate guy. I like to tease him that he used to be a loyal House guy. But, he, uh, but he's, very, you know, he's very honest and upfront, and he, and he tries, to, you know, tries to work with you. And you, know, you may not agree on everything, and it may take time to build that, cons- that, that eventual consensus, but he wants to get consensus. And that's, I think, the two of us have come at, came into Airbnb with that same mindset. And it took a little while, but we got there. I think that some of the things that he brings to the table made the bill a better bill. You know, I'm a I'm a city kid, and he's a uh, he's more of a uh, down in New Bedford and that you know that region and whatnot. And he's um you know you know we have a little bit different perspective from this from coming at it from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts uh, standpoint. But I think we uh, we come at it with uh, trying to make sure that we both get the job done. That's what the Senate President put him in there to do, and that's what the Speaker put me in there to do. Is compatibility with the Senate going forward something that you are including? Something that's on your mind? Oh yeah, I think we want to work with the Senate. Uh, we want to. Uh, you know, I think the Senate president has uh, has certainly um, tried to turn the page on previous relationships uh, in the House, House for Senate discussions, and I think uh, she did that with her new with her new committee assignments, and I think she did that with uh, some of the you know the way that she's been handling things, and I think that the uh, the speaker is very open to that. You know, we want to work together. We want to make it a you know not a, a House for a Senate thing. We, we we got enough challenges dealing with the governor, so we got to you know try to stick together as much as we possibly can. I know you've only been in the job for a couple months, but I'll, I'll leave you with the, the stinger question. Would you like someday to succeed Speaker DeLeo as Speaker of the House? I, that, it's funny. Someone asked me that earlier today. Like the day after I the day after I put out a budget, all of a sudden now people are trying to take me to further steps. And I, I laugh about it because the fact is, is that 
putting together this budget is challenging enough, and it's it's enough work. Uh, you know, it's forty two point six billion dollars. Uh, a lot of decisions, a lot of discussions. And the fact is, is that, you know, I love working for, for Speaker Bob DeLeo. Uh, he has done a, a great job, and he's even did a better job by a, when he appointed me. I, you know, obviously love the fact that he, that he appointed me to that position, and I think it's been something that uh, uh, is a great honor, and it's very humbling that he, that he had the confidence in me to do that. And that's my focus right now, and my focus is to do that job. And the, and the fact is, is that every, everything I've done in, in this industry or just in life in general, you know, you take the job, as I was saying, you take the thing that's in front of you, and you work on it. It. You work on it hard, and you don't focus about the future. You don't look in the past. You try to take the, the position that you have or the issues that you have in front of you, and you give it your all. And opportunities will come, whatever those may be. You know that was part of why I worked. You know, I mean, I worked hard on Uber and Lyft, and worked hard on Airbnb uh, in the Financial Services Committee, and that allowed you know me to have the opportunity to become the Ways and Means uh, Ways and Means Chair. What the future holds, I, I really don't know, and uh, and I'm not you know thinking about that at this moment because you know we got we still got a budget to finish, uh, the Senate's got theirs to do, and then we got to we got to iron out some whatever differences we have before July first because uh, people are obviously watching and want to make sure that we do this on time and, and balanced. Chairman Mikewitz, thank you for joining us here on the Scrum. Thank you, I appreciate the time. Okay, now that just about does it for this episode of the Scrum. I want to thank Mike Dean and especially House Ways and Means Chair Aaron Michaelwitz for taking the time to sit down with Mike and, by extension, the rest of us. Adam Riley will be back next week. I just want to remind everyone that the Scrum is a product of WGBH News. Goodbye. Until next week, I'm Peter Katzis.